So I'm thrilled today to have on the Recovering Hypocrite podcast, Elise Fitzpatrick. And Elise, um, so a couple things I wanted to start with. First of all, I had the opportunity to be on your podcast uh, a while ago, and it was the most fun I have ever had on a podcast. Like, well, like, ev- like every, so everything that, no, everything that I want this podcast to be is what your podcast was. And I keep wanting a co-host and I keep thinking maybe I'll have my daughter on because hers is the most popular episode we've ever done. But I thought, ah, uh-huh. oh, that won't work. But man, you guys are just a blast to hang out with. Well, yeah, that's, that's our public persona. I don't, <laughs> I, don't think we're, I don't think we're nearly that fun in reality. Um, that, yeah, that's, that's the virtual family. Um, we, um, you know, the deal is this, Jessica and Joel are hysterical. Phil is, is funny, you know, in a dad sort of a way. I'm not really very funny at all. And so if either Joel or Jessica is not on the podcast, then it's really kind of boring. Okay, so the, so Jessica was not on the one I was on. So are you saying that was boring? Oh, see, oh, see what she, just she did? wasn't on. So she then it wasn't. was Joel who was carrying it. Well, you know, on it, the, the two of them, they're really quite humorous. So, um, yeah, I and I would say that's kind of what um, you know what it's like to hang out with us. Um, maybe it's not that much fun. <laughs> well, well, I will say. Okay, so you recently. Um, punked me better than almost anybody's punked me. So talk about oh, being funny. And so everybody, yeah. if, you didn't, if you didn't see me talk about this online, 8.4 seconds were left in the Michigan State Elite Eight yeah. basketball game. 8.4 yeah. seconds. I'm in a bar in Indianapolis surrounded by Spartans and one Duke fan. And uh, we are just, uh, we're just glued to the television. And I get a text from you that says, hey, bro, I'm really struggling with some issues in my life right now. Do you have time for a call right now? And I have to tell you, it took me a second. I looked at my phone and thought, oh, crap, I can't. What What am I going to do? And then I realized, oh, you've got to be kidding me. You know what is going on right now. Uh, oh, that was so, so much fun. Did, I, did, did you plan that? Or did like, well, were you the whole game sitting there thinking, I'm going to do this? Or what? Like, how did that come to mind? Well, you know, we were watching, we were just watching the game and I kept saying to Phil, I really ought to call Noel and just bug him right now and just stand. And so then we kept waiting, waiting. And then, and then I said, okay, well, we got, just got to wait until the very end. Yeah, that was kind of fun. And then you showed me the picture of your church. It was wonderful. Oh yeah, it was it was a it was an absolute absolute blast. And so um, so here's the deal: um, in planning this particular episode of the podcast, I have done almost no planning because this is this is the deal. I'm going to be just straight up with you. I just wanted to talk to you, and mostly wanted to talk to you about this idea of grace. And and here's the uh-huh. reason: you and I have just officially met over the last year, I think, in person. But we've been running in same or similar circles over the last number of years. And, and those circles always have to do with grace. Um, right. And, and, and we tend to, so I, I, my recollection is the first time I ever uh, saw you in person, you were at uh, uh, speaking at the Liberate Conference uh, right. down that Tullian was doing. Um, and yep. then... Um, it, it almost seems like after the after Tullian's 
um, life and ministry imploded. It's yeah. almost like everybody got afraid of talking about grace uh, in the radical ways that he did. And it just, it got quiet for a while. And and I'll tell you, it freaked me out because of course I was writing a book on it and it was asking him to do my foreword, you know, right in the middle uh, of all that. Um, yeah. But it, it almost feels like... Um, I don't know, like people wanted to put the clamps down on that message and then things just got quiet for a while and now it feels like it's bubbling again. I don't, have you felt that same sort of thing? Yeah, yeah, I have. I Well, I, I think there's a couple of things happening. I think, yeah, people who really loved what was going on down at Liberate, um, I think that when that whole thing came down, um, they thought, mm, I'm going to, I'm going to duck out for a while. Cause you know, everybody is going to, I think social media makes it that much worse, but everybody, you know, sort of felt like I'm just going to duck out for a while. And now it seems like people are talking again, maybe cautiously. And then I think that there's another group of people that basically have said, and I think they were saying this before, but maybe they're saying it more loudly now, or at least I'm hearing it more loudly, which is just, um, oh yeah, you know, talking about the gospel, gospel this, grace that, it's so trendy, you know, let's just let's just take every single book and put grace in the title of it. And it's like, it's a trend. I wish it were a trend. Um, <laughs> But uh, yeah, so people, you know, there's always going to be people that are going to push back on it for any number of reasons. And, um, and so, yeah, I think there's still pushback. And I honestly think that, um, you know, people are, people are looking for opportunities, people who are not where we would say we are theologically. Those people are going to look for opportunities um, to shut the message down. And, you know, my perspective is basically this. Um, I, no, I speak in at probably 15 conferences a year around the nation. And, you know, I'm never asked to go speak at some fluffy church. I mean, you know, people want me, they're going to, they're going to have me really come in and speak my message. But uh, as I've traveled around, um, I have asked women around the country, uh, what does the word justification mean? And they don't know. Wow. I'm just telling you. I, I'm, I mean, I'm serious. They don't know. And so I, I, I have said numbers of times, um, you know, I, I, over a hundred times in big churches, small churches all over the nation, what does the word justification mean? If you know, just, you know, raise your hand. I won't make you define it. Just tell me if you think you know, and no one knows it. So to my way of thinking, Noel, we're in, we're back in Rome. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're back in um, in the times when we need a reformation, because generally speaking, uh, the people in e modern evangelicalism really don't have a clue. 
Well, it's, it's interesting. When you were up here, so you spoke at a women's conference uh, that we hosted at our church last year. I, there were two uh-huh. decided groups of people, and this was fascinating. And uh, um, and the first group of people were people that were not from our church. So they were from other churches in the uh, surrounding area. They heard there was a women's conference, et cetera, so they came in. And a lot of them were saying, who says things like this? That was the response from you. Like, like this is yeah. wild. This is crazy. And then there were a bunch yeah. of people, folks from our church that were like, um, this is like what we hear every week. This is actually the gospel. Yeah. And so yeah. I think when you mentioned earlier that grace and the gospel become trendy, I think what's yeah. tr- it always seems to come with a second shoe to drop. It's like gospel yeah. plus yeah. Um, grace plus. So it's like, yes, yeah. we want you to have grace and we want justification to be by grace alone, but we want sanctification to be the plus that comes after it. And when you're preaching true, just reformation level grace, that yeah. isn't as trendy right now. People get freaked out a little bit about that. Listen, people, people do get freaked out about it. And I mean, I can count on, and I know <laughs> I know I've done a good job when I have somebody come up to me afterwards and say, yes, but. (laughs) Yeah, but, you know, you really got to talk about sanctification. See, I know I've done a good job. I almost said the word preaching, but maybe I shouldn't use that word. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You're you're safe here. You can say that word. You know know where my convictions are on that. I'm a good, solid complementarian. And I'm comfortable with you using the word preach, so go for it. Okay. So um, I I know that I've done a good job preaching the gospel if somebody comes up to me afterwards and says, yes, but. Um, And and my response to that generally is this. What people, um, aside from your church and, of course, other churches, you know, people are preaching the gospel here and there. But um, what people almost always hear is sanctification messages. That's the message of the evangelical church. And it's not even really, I wouldn't say that it even rises a lot of times to the level of real sanctification message, which is Hmm. love God and your neighbor. Right. (laughs) Um, Right. But it's more like, you know, here are the five steps to, you know, have a happy family. So, um, you know, I, I always get that. And then I always get... And I don't think I'm exaggerating when I say this. Um, I'm searching my poor memory, but I really don't think I'm exaggerating when I say this. I always get one or two people who come up to me in tears and say, I've been attending church for 40 years and I have never heard this. Now, no, that, I mean, I, Dan, I keep well, and that's what's reformation level, like you're saying. Right, right. And I keep saying, particularly in women's ministries, it's a freaking waste-telling wilderness. And, um, and they don't, they're not getting the thing they need, which is the confidence that by His grace in Christ, God has called these women justified. And, and of course, I'm going to say, because you are forgiven, because you have been loved, because, you know, you are adopted, then 
live like a member of the family. But that's not my primary message because I honestly think that nobody's hearing it. It's, it's seriously, it's as though we were living 500 years ago. Well, it's interesting. We were, I was, uh, I was at the, 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 not to interrupt you, but the Gospel Coalition yeah. Conference last week, and those, that's my tribe. I, I, I'm an X29. I'm an X29 church. We were sponsoring it, so all, all that. But we, there were a number of us who were all sitting together that were saying, we feel like we need to relaunch Liberate. We kept joking about yeah. that. We wanted to, we were talking about uh, little taglines like uh, um, uh, our new Liberate would be our only legalism is against your legalism or yeah. we're standing <laughs> against the steel-toed boot of sanctification that keeps kicking yeah. you in the crotch. And and again, yeah, this good. is my tribe, but it's like, it feels like, it does, it feels like there there is a... Uh, decided lack of grace in the way we talk about grace. There's a yeah. deciding, there's a, we're missing justification in our talk about yeah. justification. I mean, yeah. it's just, it's it's like we're missing the core truths inside the truths we're trying to preach. Right. And I think that, you know, I want to, I want to give the best spin to what people are doing. And I think that what people are doing is, First of all, they think that they're being um, faithful to Scripture. And then second of all, I think that they're concerned that the church is um, that the church is not really living as she should in, you know, in holiness. And I mean, I am concerned about the church and her holiness. Um, I think it matters. But... (laughs) My perspective is that telling people to be holy is not the way to make people holy. Telling people that they've been counted holy, that they've been given the righteousness of Christ, the perfect record of Christ's obedience, telling people that, telling people that they've been forgiven so they can forgive, that they've been loved so they can love, telling people those kinds of things. Those are the ways that we encourage people in holiness, not by, tell, not by doubling down on telling people that they should be holy. You know, it's, it, it, it reminds me, if I'm, and I'm, I'm way too far away from my bookshelf to be able to pull the book out, so I'm trying to remember this, but the subtitle of your, you had a book uh, about parenting, and wasn't yeah. your subtitle like Dazzling Your Kids with yeah. the Love of Christ or something like that? Yeah. Was that am, I, yeah. am I close? Yeah, um, that's I, it. Yeah. I think that that's like the that's the key message. We have we have we have neutered grace to the point yeah. that it's no longer dazzling. We've taken right. the love of Jesus and turned it into a set of commands. Rather, I think if people were truly dazzled by the love of Christ, if they truly understood the 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 gravity of their sin, um, and again, this is uh, again, it feels like a plug for my book. But the reason I wrote Wretched Saints yeah. is it was like you need to delve into your wretchedness so deeply that you understand how terrible you are, like it, deeply, yeah. deeply, deeply sinful, so that you could see how dazzling the grace of God yeah. is, so that you come out of the other. What you you see that and you think, holy crap, I am seated at the yeah. right hand of God the Father. I am yeah. with uh, God, uh, with uh, Christ in God. I am seated at all yeah. of these things. You, when you get that, you can't help but have that change your life. 
And, and, right. and the problem is you can't add the buts or the nows or the yes. plus signs because when you yes. do, all of a sudden you go, oh, I get it. It wasn't really that dazzling. It wasn't really <laughs> that great in the first. I, I, I see it. Jesus made it 97% of the way to me. And that 3%, that is me. And, right. and, and that, man, that is, that's killing the gospel message. You know, it really is. And so, you know, when we have problems like what we had a few years ago with Liberate, then all of the naysayers say, see, that's just what we said. See, and that's why, that's why when somebody like that has, has a fall, it's so hard, it's so devastating to... Uh, to the people who want to uh, who want to talk about grace, um, because then they're going to get this pushback. However, on the other hand, I want to say this: um, I do a lot of work with a group of people called Fifteen Seventeen, um, and they do um, they do conferences uh, called Christ Hold Fast. Um, and a lot of the people who are involved in that have had significant falls in their lives. Um, they have been restored. They are doing well. And they, and they use that sin in their lives. Um, they don't cover it up, but they use that sin in their life as a way to talk about grace. So I don't want to say, you know, um, it, it, I, I mean, it is terrible when someone falls in that way. Uh, it does reflect poorly on what we're trying to do. But on the other hand, I know God uses it. And um, so I, you know, I, I just have to rest in that. Um, but yeah, it, it's, um, it's bad enough that we get pushback from the world um, about Christianity. But when you get pushback from people who are supposed to be your brothers, um, in Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ, then that's, that's more difficult, I think. You know, I, so I did um, an early episode of this podcast was with our mutual friend, Dave Zoll. Oh, and yeah. one of the things that we talked about was the fact that even the phrase falling from grace is a terrible, yeah. terrible phrase um, yeah. because it implies that um, your sin has caused you to fall from grace. Now, granted, we know it's ripped from Galatians, but it seems that phrase is ripped out of context when it's pulled out of right. Galatians. Um, and grace is something, I, I remember Dave saying on the podcast, he goes, grace is something you fall into, not something you fall out of. And, right. and, we, and just the number of our friends, I have friends who, um, a number of friends who have um, fallen and yeah. they say that a lot of times they are just completely and utterly abandoned from their brothers and sisters in Christ. Like all of a sudden um, their phone stops ringing and nobody's yeah. texting anymore. And, 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 and that is incredibly sad. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, you know, I guess that the issue is this, that, you know, you and I and the people who we would say are in our tribe who are really trying to bring the message of grace uh, need to do it with one another uh, and also yeah. with the people who are, 
who are going to stand against what we're doing. Yeah, no, it's interesting too. So I don't, I, I honestly don't know enough about your faith story and background. Um, but I, um, and I, and that's going to be my next question. So just be prepared for that. But, um, sure. but I, for me, I'm finding, I, so I'm a Calvinist, but I am probably uh-huh. the most Lutheran Calvinist you're ever going to meet. And, yeah. Yeah. um, in my sanctification and in atonement, I have to be, I, I, I can't, I can't play ball with Calvin and very well, mm-hmm. at least I think in how people caricaturize, caricaturize Calvin, I think he probably was a little bit more um, on, in our camp than people give him credit for. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, but uh, you know, I'm finding a lot of my comrades in arms are um, Episcopalians and they're Lutherans yeah. and I yeah. disagree with them on ecclesiology and I disagree yeah. with them on baptism and the Lord's Supper and I disagree with them on all, a host of issues. But right. in this issue, it's a one of, like you said, a lot of the fifteen seventeen guys are Lutheran, right? Yeah, they are. They're almost all Lutheran. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so I, I it, it's, it's, it's. I'm probably the most Lutheran Calvinist you'll ever meet. <laughs> yeah, you know, and I've said that about myself as well. Interestingly, I wasn't raised in a Christian home. Um, my mom was a lapsed Catholic. My father was a non-practicing Jew. Uh, my dad was out of the home fairly early on. And, uh, but my grandmother was a Lutheran. And so from time to time, she would take me to church with her. I eventually, I was baptized as a Lutheran and I was confirmed as a Lutheran. Um, so, you know, it's so funny because and when I was 12 or 13 years old, I had to memorize the Apostles' Creed. And, you know, I can still remember it. Now, the reality is I wasn't a believer. Um, but I had to memorize it because my mom or my grandmother or somebody wanted me to be confirmed so I could take communion, um, which I basically had no idea what I was doing. And I don't think I was saved at all. Um, but again, you know, then you got to say, well, when did that actually happen? So I, you know, I was, uh, I, I have a lot of, I have a lot of early training in Lutheranism Um, But when I was about 13 or 14, uh, I remember asking my mom, why are we here? And she said, I don't know, honey, I think it's so that we can all learn to get along. And I thought, well, (laughs) that's the lamest thing I ever heard. So then what that means to me is eat, drink and be merry. And uh, and I did. Uh, I just threw myself into a life of debauchery. And then right before, and you know, everything that means in Southern California. Uh, And so then right before my 21st birthday, um, the Lord saved me. I wasn't looking for God. Didn't hit rock bottom. Um, Just uh, uh, the Lord had me move in next door to a woman who is still my friend. And uh, my doorbell's going to ring. There it goes. Hey, um, uh, had me well, that's kind of isn't isn't that kind of isn't that kind of how Jesus entered your life too? Just all of a yeah. sudden, doorbell ring. Yeah, just ding dong, right? Doorbell ring, and so um, so you know, I I was saved right before my twenty first birthday, and you know, I came into Christianity. Um, I, first of all, I came into Christianity as a Calvinist without knowing that's what I was. I knew I was, I knew I was a sinner because uh, I lived the life. And 
I knew I wasn't looking for God when you saved me. And so for me, you know, then when I finally got to the place where I was hearing the doctrines of grace, I thought, well, yeah, duh. (laughs) Exactly. Because God God just saved me, Noel. And I mean, what happened in my life then? And that was like in 1971, Jesus movement in Southern California, you know, Calvary Chapel in Costa Mesa, whole gig. Um, I mean, it was it was a shocking transformation. And I became a person. I mean, at that point, I would read the Bible because I thought it was fun. Um, but see, God saved me. And so when you when when I talk to people, who sort of feel like they're really not that bad, or yeah, they they had something to do with their decision. Well, okay, maybe I, you know, I, I, I don't think that's what the Bible teaches, but I just know from my own personal experience, I didn't choose God. I mean, I would never, I would never have chosen this. I, I mean, I, I think I wanted to choose something that would make me feel good about myself, but not this. Yeah, so it's interesting because in our cultural context right now, we are just absolutely inundated with choice, and mm-hmm. and it is our God-given right to choose whatever cereal mm-hmm. we want. Um, you mm-hmm. know, and and I wonder um, if just a uh, like you said, another reformation <laughs> level yeah. event will happen in our culture where the, this, this, the coupling of this idea of radical, radical grace, not free yeah. grace in the way people criticize it, but radical, just soul-shaking grace, yeah. along with the soul-shaking nature of the fact that God steps in and chooses to save you, is something that is, could break our modern sensibilities um, yeah. and really just uh, just penetrate our culture right now. I just wonder if we're primed for that. And again, um, I'm, I'm, I'm an optimist, but I, I'm not optimistic that that's going to happen here in America. I feel like we're going to go the opposite direction for a while, but man, how fantastic mm-hmm. would that be if it did? Yeah. Wouldn't that be the, wouldn't that be so cool? You know, I sort of, I sort of look out over the evangelical landscape and it's, and again, it's in some ways like we're looking at Rome in the 1500s, you know, um, and the, 1400s to 1500s. That's a lot of what I see. And, uh, you know, when I when I talk and tell people that, you know, you don't have to make it up. When you sin, don't get up then the next day and say, I'm going to be particularly good today and try to make it up. That's that's like this thought of penance. I'm going to be particular, however, however that plays out. And so I'm, you know, I tell people when you sin, you know, flee to Jesus, run to Christ. He's the friend of sinners. Don't try to make it up. Yeah, and, it's, it's, it's almost like we've got to get rid of the sackcloth and ashes and right. instead just brush the dust off. Like it's, the, it's like a, a complete, instead of throwing the dust on, we just trip and fall. We brush the dust off and then just walk to Jesus again. It's, right. a, it's, you, it's a completely different posture. And, you know, the deal is, I mean, in, in the Old Testament, you have one day of atonement, one, one day. 
one day where the people would afflict themselves. And then the rest of the feast is all about a party. And it's like when you read in Nehemiah, and Nehemiah is talking to the exiles who have returned back to the Holy Land. And he says, why, why are you afflicting yourselves? The joy of the Lord is your strength. See, that you want to have strength to fight your sin, then that's where it comes from. It comes from joy, knowing your justification, knowing that by God's grace alone, you know, God's grace, as our friend would say, plus nothing, you know, Christ plus nothing. You stand right now before God just as if you had never sinned. And, you know, people sometimes know that, but nobody knows just as if you had always obeyed. And see, it's Mm, that, it's that, no, it's that, that gives you joy then so that you have strength to fight your sin. I mean, how can I get up? I've been married, excuse me, yeah, I've been married a long time, but I've been a Christian since 1971. How can I get up and fight my sin again? I mean, come on. I've been, I've been praying every day for decades. God, help me to do your will today. And some days I have better days than others, but I always know in my heart, I really don't love my neighbor, and I really don't love God more than I love anything. And then how am I going to get up and pray that again tomorrow and, and fight again tomorrow? Well, the only place strength comes from is from the joy of knowing that as far as God is concerned, that tomorrow doesn't exist. As a matter of fact, my sin today doesn't exist, and my sin tomorrow doesn't exist. So my sin yesterday doesn't exist in God's sight. You know, it'd be, it'd be wild if we actually started living that way. I think we would take ourselves <laughs> so much less seriously. We've been talking about this recently, kind of uh, our, the DNA of our church and kind of how are we wired and just in our interpersonal relationships. And one of the guys made a comment. He goes, lately, we've been taking ourselves too seriously. And I was just kind of flummoxed by that. I'm like, oh my gosh, we really have been. And I yeah. think what happens is you get into the serious business of doing church and 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 weekend service and you just sap the the joy out of life. And if the, yeah. it is the joy of the Lord that leads to strength, I wonder if that's an intentional strategy of the enemy to make us the most miserable people, the most serious people, the people who don't, who take ourselves so seriously um, that um, just even, you know, that tiny sliver of joy that is happiness, we don't even have that, let alone joy. We don't have any, even the emotion of happiness. Um, and we're just, um, I don't know, I wonder um, what would happen if there was just this radical outpouring of <laughs> infectious joy. Yeah. yeah. A wise man named Steve Brown, uh, when yeah. he was at our church speaking at a conference, uh, another mutual friend, he says, he, he was just walking around saying, you know, you smell like Jesus. That guy smells like yeah. Jesus. That guy smells like Jesus. And yeah. I thought, that's right. We are the aroma of Christ is what Paul says. Yeah. And and I wonder if we were more joyful, um, if that would be a draw um, for people yeah. for the sake of the gospel. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm looking at that passage in Nehemiah 8, 
And, you know, you know the story. Um, the exiles come back. They read the law to them. And the people are grieved. And so in Nehemiah 8, it says, Nehemiah, who was the governor, and Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to the people, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people wept as they heard the words of the law. Then he said to them, Go your way. Have a party. Eat the fat. Drink the sweet. Send portions to anyone who has no, nothing ready. See, there's this radical joy and generosity. For this day is holy to our Lord, and do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. So the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be quiet, for this day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing, so like party time, because they had understood the words that were declared to them. Mm. I mean, you know, what what would church be like if that was it? You hear the word oh, of the yeah. law, you hear the word of the gospel, your pastors say, don't be grieved. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, go share with people and have a party. That's right. So get out of here and go party with your neighbors and invite the yeah. the the, yeah. the lost into the party, and That's and right. <laughs> you know and those in need in the party. I I I I, I was at a church service uh, uh, a couple weeks ago in England, and it was uh, so. I want you to picture what the cliche in your mind would be of mm. um, a Church of England historic church service. Mm-hmm. So I, I went and my friend is uh, the pastor, I don't know what they call him, vicar or whatever they call him mm-hmm. there, and, and I went to visit his church. And uh, so he was preaching on uh, financial generosity. So you want to talk about something that everyone's going to be like, I'm out. Um, yeah. And and just kind of like, just, hey, and she so was teaching on generosity. At the very end of his message, did something I've never seen before. He brought all the children into the service, up onto the stage, and they threw this crazy dance party with the little kids on stage that was just so infectious. And he was up there hyping up the kids and they were all dancing. And it was, you. we have this stoic picture of yeah. what like the Church yeah. of England would be like. And my yeah. friend just blew that out of the water. And they were, it was so joyful and so, cool. so celebratory. Um, I've never seen anything like that. That's, that's so great. Just think what, what would church be like if you knew, if you knew that that was the end of the church, that was the end of your church service every week. So you go out. Yeah, I don't, I don't, time. I don't know if his is every week, but it was definitely that week. And I, 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 I would love for that to be every week. So, okay. So we could talk forever. We're, we're really running out of time for what I tried to do on this, but here's what I, uh, first of all, thank you so much for being on. What sure, I would love for you to do, Elise here is would you just, uh, I've never done this in the podcast before, but just, would you pray for the American church sure. and pray for our church mm. and pray for your church and pray for this yeah. joy and this grace and just kind of almost like prayer blessing over all the people listening to the podcast and everything that's happening. Cause I just feel like this feels like Holy ground to me. We're talking mm. about such substantive stuff. I'd love you to wrap it up with a little benediction. Sure. Yeah. Mm. So father, thank you. Um, thank you that you are the gracious father who loves prodigals and elder brothers. Uh, and Lord, you, you love those who 
think that they can merit your love and you love those who aren't really concerned about your love at all. Lord, thank you that you are the loving Father. And so we pray, Father, I pray along with Noel that you would work this message of joy into our churches. Lord, for my church, my kids' churches, and for Noel's church, and for everyone who's listening, Lord, would you please work a message of joy into our hearts so that we would we would know that you have loved us and forgiven us and justified us, made us your own, adopted us, ransomed us. Lord, help us to know these things and help us to speak them to one another. Help us to speak the forgiveness of Jesus Christ to one another continually. And Lord, in light of that, may we be people of great joy, um, infectious joy, generous joy, welcoming joy. May we do that now. And Lord, um, do what you will in our churches. You see you see the mess that the church is, but Lord, you have you have loved the church, and I know Jesus, she's your bride. So would you pardon her and protect her and provide for her now until you return and uh, take us finally home to be with you? We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.